Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. God bless you. Well, we're, uh, we're near the end of this series uh, in which we're talking about influence because we are living through a season in the life of our country in which I think post-pandemic we're suffering from a kind of a, a corporate depression. There's just a lethargy that hangs over our culture right now. And you've probably seen all the articles about how people are trying to work less or quiet quit or only softly commit to work. There's there's just a lack of energy in our culture right now. And I think there's an overall reconsideration of what makes life meaningful. Because the pandemic pulled so much out from underneath us. There are a lot of people who said, wait a minute, do I want to spend all this time pouring effort into things that don't generate life? And, and now there, there's sort of a sense of only wanting to commit to that which gives us joy and peace and hope, and good relationships. And that is a boon for those who follow Jesus Christ because Jesus promises exactly those things. Not only that, Jesus promises us a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of love, and a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of influence, where we don't just retire on a boat out in the harbor and cruise around. But instead, when we put our lives in Jesus' hands, Jesus uses our lives to change the world. And so today I want to continue in that series and look at the difference between trusting Jesus' power to use our lives for influence versus just throwing ourselves into the struggles of this world and trying to make a way on our own power. Take a minute and pray with me. God, I thank you that you call us out of lethargy and laziness, out of exhaustion and depression, out of aimlessness and wandering. And you put us on a path of purpose, of meaning, of life and of influence. Jesus, take our lives, regardless of how we've lived and where we've come to, and use us as influencers for your kingdom. Use our lives to make your name great. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right. I want to look at a couple of stories in the scriptures of travels by boat. And the first one is in the gospel of Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35, uh, when uh, Jesus uh, is out on the sea with his disciples and a storm comes up. Uh, at Mark chapter 4, verse 35, listen to God's word. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. A furious, furious storm came up. And this actually happens on the Sea of Galilee. There are signs posted by the Sea of Galilee today that say, if you park your car here, it might get washed away in a storm. There, there are these tremendous storms that can come up on short notice on this sea. So a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus 
was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Now, I want you to picture this. This isn't a yacht. It's a fishing boat. And he's asleep on this boat in a terrible storm with high waves and flooding happening in the boat. He's asleep. You gotta wonder what's in the guy's mind. It reminds me of a time that I was on an airplane and we were flying along and there was terrible turbulence all of a sudden and we were terrified. I was grabbing the little tray in front of me and my knuckles were white and my teeth were clenched and there was across the aisle from me uh, in, the, in the seats next to me a little girl probably five years old and she had thrown her hands up in the air and was yelling, Wee! Some of us are just not worried. So Jesus, in the midst of this storm, is sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? When I struggle, my default assumption is that God doesn't care. Perhaps God just isn't worried. Verse 39, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now there's an important symbol that that occurs in this text. Jesus calming the wind and the waves harkens back to passages in the scriptures where all along images of the sea of the ocean represented chaos. And God calming the sea, God controlling the sea represented God's control over the chaos of this world. You go back to Genesis, God in the creation narrative brings land out of the waters. He brings order out of chaos. When the Israelites flee slavery in Egypt, Moses parts the Red Sea. The chaos is parted and they go through on stable dry ground. They do the same thing again at the river Jordan they they the river stops and they walk through on dry ground Uh, we'll see uh, another story in a minute uh, about uh, a man named Jonah out in a storm on the sea Uh, and here in the story of Jesus Jesus calms the wind and the waves Jesus brings peace and order to that which is chaotic the Bible will conclude in Revelation 21 with the promise that in the next world in heaven There's no longer any sea, no longer any ocean. And I think by that, the the text means all the chaos of this world will finally be stilled. So Jesus has now controlled the wind and the waves. Verse 40, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And by faith, notice he's not talking about doctrines. They probably believe all the right stuff. He's talking about a confidence in the things that they believe. You can have all the right theology in your head and it won't make a difference if you have no confidence in what you say you believe. Without without confidence, you don't have faith. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now you and I know what it's like to go through storms. The pandemic was a storm. And in that storm, a lot of people stopped going to church. A lot of people wandered away from God or just put God on a back burner. The storm overwhelmed them. A boatload of people did not weather that storm. And we're now on the other side of that in a season where people are tentative to commit to anything because they know the storms can rock the things they've trusted. Jesus stood on the stern of the boat and said, quiet, be still. 
And for a moment now, I want you to pause and think about Jesus standing on the, the stern of your life and saying to the storms in your life, quiet, be still. There's another story of a journey by boat in the Hebrew scriptures and a guy sleeping in a boat in the midst of a storm and it's in the book of Jonah. You may have heard this story before. A lot of us grow up uh, in Sunday school hearing about the story of Jonah and the whale. It's certainly a famous enough uh, story that the kids have read that most of us have heard it before. But if not, here's how it goes. God calls the prophet Jonah and says, I want you to go to a certain city known as Nineveh and I want you to tell them to repent. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh where they worship other gods, where they, they don't know me, and they live wild and riotous lives, and I want you to tell them that they need to follow me, believe in me, and get their lives straight. And Jonah doesn't want to go. And you can't blame him. If you know anything about Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, it's, it's a lot like when my wife said to me, hey, I got tickets to a great show. And I said, oh, good. Where is it? And she said, Las Vegas. And I was like, oh, oh, ah. And this a weekend of expensive tedium is a weekend in Las Vegas. Ah. So Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. He very much expects that they will reject him and want nothing to do with what he has to say. So instead of obeying God, he runs in the other direction. He goes to the harbor, gets on a boat that's sailing south when he's supposed to go north. And in the midst of this journey by boat, a storm comes up. And he's told the members of the crew that he is running away from God. And in the midst of this storm, they realize somebody up there is mad at us. And Jonah is asleep in the storm. So they go and get Jonah and Jonah says, this is probably because of me. I'll tell you what you do. Throw me in and the storm will be calmed. And they do. And it is. And then a big fish swallows Jonah and turns around and sails back in the northern direction and spits him up on the beaches right in the direction of Nineveh. Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches to the, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, and they repent and they change. And then Jonah's mad because he really wanted the Ninevites to suffer for how they had lived. And that is the story of Jonah. When I looked at this recently, I, I knew both of these stories before, but it, it was the first time it had jumped out at me that, that Jonah was asleep during the storm as well. Look at, the, look at the comparison and the contrast between these two stories. Jesus and Jonah are both on boats in the midst of a storm. Jesus is being perfectly obedient to the will of the Father who has sent him to save faithless people like the disciples who are afraid. He's perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. He's asleep during the storm because he's not afraid. Jonah is sent by God to save faithless people, the Ninevites. And he runs in rebellion against the will of God. He sleeps on the boat because he doesn't care. In the end, Jesus throws the power of God at the storm, and it is stilled. Jonah throws himself at the storm, and it's stilled. Both of them work. But in the end, Jesus stands at peace above the waves. 
whereas Jonah has been consumed by them and what lies beneath them. And it strikes me that in these two parallel stories, there is a decision that we have to make. There's an analogy to a decision that we have to make. When we face the storms of this life, we can choose to invite God's power to take control of the storms of our lives and calm them. We as people of faith can trust that God is the Lord of the storms. Or we, like Jonah, can hurl ourselves into the storms of this life, thinking that that's the only thing that will work, thinking that that's what we're responsible to do, thinking that that's what we deserve. Make no mistake, Jonah here is attempting suicide. He has no vision of God saving him in this. He thinks that he deserves God's punishment. And the only way to save his crewmates is to give himself up. It's not unheard of that in this life, if, if we've lived a hard life and if life has broken us, we come to a point where we feel like the only thing I can do is throw myself at the storms because it's the responsible thing to do. I'm the one who should take care of this and I probably deserve it. And life will grind us down when we do that. I knew a woman many years ago who had a hard home life. Her husband left her with two troubled kids. One of them had severe learning disabilities and she tried her best to raise them, but there was a lot of stress and anxiety in the home and a lot of anger. She raised them up until the point that they moved out angrily. It was not a happy household. And not long after that, her aging father became sick and she decided, well, this is, it's my job. Nobody else will do it. I have to do it. And it's, it's probably what I deserve. And she threw herself at that storm and she took care of him and became his nurse and wore herself down caring for him until eventually he passed. And at that point in her life, she was exhausted. She was spent. She was depressed. And she felt like her life was over. And she ended up taking her own life because she felt like there was nothing left. You may have gone through a season in your life where you faced severe storms and you thought, I'm the only one who can deal with it and I'm supposed to and maybe I deserve it. So I'm going to throw myself at the storms of this life. I'm going to throw myself at the financial challenges my family's face, and I'm going to take uh, my family faces, and I'm going to take on a third job or a fourth job. I'm going to uh, throw myself at the conflicts in my home or in my family, and get in the middle of them to try to fix them. And you've been worn down by that. Somebody around you needed care, and you felt like it was yours to do, and you didn't deserve anything else, and you threw yourself into it, and it consumed years of your life. And years down the road, you are spent. And you look at God and you think, well, it was, it was probably me. Uh, there was a reason there were storms in my life, and it was probably what I deserved. Listen, Jesus died to give you life, not to take it away from you. Jesus died to give you an abundant life, 
a joyful life, a fulfilled life, a meaningful life, an influential life. He does not need for you to be a sacrificial lamb. He already did that. When Jesus went to the cross, he became the sacrifice to pay for our sins. So that when we believe that he died for us, we are absolutely forgiven. There's nothing left for which you need to offer a sacrifice when you believe he sacrificed himself for you. If I make of myself a sacrificial lamb, it's as if to say his sacrifice wasn't good enough and now I have to do more. Instead, what he wants is for me to believe that he has done all the sacrificing that needs to happen so that I am absolutely at peace with God. I stand forgiven and innocent in the eyes of the Father. There is nothing left I need to do and there is nothing left I need to earn. I don't have to prove anything because I am forgiven. You don't have to become a sacrifice. And I know what Jesus said. People look at Jesus' teachings and it says, you must take up your cross and follow me or else you're not worthy to be my disciple. When Jesus calls us to be our, his disciple, it's not to rob us of life, it's to give us life. When, when he calls us to sacrifice our lives for him, it's like a, a glove inviting a hand to fill it. And when a glove invites a hand to fill it, it looks like the glove is empowered to do all kinds of things it wasn't able to do before. The glove suddenly has these remarkable abilities to do things that it couldn't do on its own. When I sacrifice myself for Jesus, what I sacrifice is my insistence on doing things my own way. And instead, I invite the Holy Spirit into my heart to empower and fill me. And all of a sudden, I can do all kinds of things that I couldn't do before. All of a sudden, my life can take on a meaning and a purpose and an influence that I could not muster up on my own power. That shouldn't make me feel miserable. That should fill me with joy, which is what he wants for us. Now, when the storms arise in your life, when there are struggles and troubles, we can all do the dutiful thing and say, I'm just going to throw myself at it. I'm going to burden myself. I'm going to work more. I'm going to sleep less. And if I'm miserable, I probably deserved it anyway. That's just how life is. And sometimes we can go a long way on our own natural powers. Sometimes we can accomplish a lot of things on our own powers. But they end up consuming us. There's a cost for trying to establish influence through our own power instead of God's power. Uh, I read a book uh, the last couple of weeks by a guy who is known as the premier influencer of the last century, the guy who invented the term public relations. He, he was the master of influence. His name was Edward Bernays, and he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, the great psychologist. And he took psychology and applied it to marketing in American businesses. And he changed the world with the way he influenced. But it came at a cost. Some of the influence that he brought about has changed your life and mine. Uh, you ever uh, wake up in the morning and think, I want bacon for breakfast? Of course you do, because you're worshiping God today and you're a good person and that's, you like bacon. People who don't like bacon are, I don't know, they're atheists out there. I don't know what they're doing, but they're not, they're not here because we're good. 
if you like having bacon for breakfast, that was Edward Bernays who, who gave you that. Uh, a century ago, he set up a marketing campaign to sell bacon and he advertised it to, now this is a century ago, so understand families in America were sli slightly differently structured back then. He advertised to wives whom he knew were at home cooking. And he said, if you want your husband to have a good day at work, you should start him out with a hearty breakfast. And the best thing to give him is eggs and bacon. And that's when that became the staple breakfast in America. If you like having bacon for breakfast, that was Edward Bernays. He had bigger influence than that. He is the one who first made it publicly acceptable for women to smoke cigarettes. Uh, prior to that, uh, prior to the 1920s, it was really only a, a men's game. A woman smoking in public was said to be unladylike. But Edward Bernays was hired by tobacco companies to improve their marketing. And so he uh, got some uh, women who were going to march in a women's suffrage uh, movement, um, you know, marching for uh, women's right to vote. And he said, this is what I want you to do. In the middle of the march, I want you all to pull out cigarettes and light them up to show that you're independent that you're not governed by society's norms, you're, you're free thinkers. And then he called a bunch of journalists and he said, I heard that there are these women who are going to this march and during the march, they're going to light what they're calling liberty torches. I don't even know what that is, but they're gonna do it. So all these journalists showed up with their cameras and all these women showed up with cigarettes hidden in their pockets. And at the right moment, they pulled them out and they lit cigarettes and all the photographers took pictures of these independent women, these free thinking women smoking cigarettes. And all of a sudden, cigarette sales boomed in America because it was a sign of women's independence. If you've struggled with tobacco addiction, you're a woman and struggled with a tobacco addiction, that was Edward Bernays. He had a huge influence on the world, but not always good, because he was consumed by the moral underpinnings of deciding to do things by his own power and his own manipulations. He actually helped overthrow the government of Guatemala, uh, working with the CIA, uh, who saw a democratically elected government that leaned a little towards the, the Communist Party, and uh, Edward Bernays had been hired by banana companies, which the one that's currently today Chiquita Bananas, uh, to help portray bananas in a better light in American uh, diet. And so he got involved in uh, overturning the government in Guatemala through a propaganda campaign. He was incredibly influential on his own power. He even uh, sent out documents to all the Congress people talking about how Christianity and communism were rivals, though he himself really had no passion for the faith. It was just another form of manipulation. He had all kinds of influence on his own power, but it came at a cost. Thousands of women have died of cancer because of smoking habits. He spent the rest of his life trying to convince his own wife to stop smoking. How do you feel about a, a government interfering in your country's elections? Most of us think that that's nasty, right? But, but he used his own power and influence. He threw himself at the challenges to do it. And with it came moral compromise. And you could go at the world the way he trained us to do. Throwing ourselves into the, the competition of the world, manipulating and undermining and campaigning to get what we want, whether it's right or not. And even if you're successful, it comes at a cost. 
when we throw ourselves at the storms of this life, they consume us. And whether we are, are trapped in failure by them or feel like somehow we've succeeded, they consume us. And in the end, we lose our souls to them. Contrast that with what happens when we trust Jesus' power to deal with the storms of this life. Look at the, the stories of the scriptures of people who trusted God's power instead of their own and look at what God did in the midst of their storms. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, ends up in prison in a foreign country after being betrayed by his family and accused of a crime that he didn't commit. He ends up in prison at the bottom of society in a foreign land. But he trusted God and because he trusted God, God escalated him and accelerated him up to the point where he was second in line to the king. And he used his position to save not only his family from starvation, but his entire people. When he trusted God's power over the storms of this world, God used even the storm that he was trapped in the middle of to save an entire people. Look at the story of Jonah. When God sends Jonah off to a foreign land to, to deliver them, God's power over the storm actually will transform the ministry of Jonah to save the Ninevites. See, the Ninevites worshipped a chief god, their head god, whose name was Dagon. Dagon was first, first in line for their spiritual authority. He, he had rule over all the other gods. And Dagon was portrayed in these, these images that archaeologists have dug up as a god who was half man and half fish. His, his torso was that of the man and his lower half was the tail of a fish. Or if you look at it in the right way, he looks like a man being spit out of the mouth of a fish. And so in the midst of the storm of this life, the one that's going to consume Jonah, the one that's going to end his life, God sends him to the Ninevites, looking an awful lot like the God they worship, to deliver to, to, deliver to them a message that ultimately will save them. Who is the Lord of the storms of your life? Look at the disciples in the book of Acts. They, uh, they go about the business of making Jesus' name known, and they are, they are imprisoned. They're tortured. Uh, some of them are martyred. And yet, as you read the book of Acts, it seems like they're happy everywhere they go. They are absolutely having fun with what they're doing. It says they get out of prison and they're singing songs. They write letters of encouragement to each other. They have a great time, and thousands of people join their movement. I mean, you, you know they had not given themselves to a God who just wanted them to be miserable because everybody wants to get in on their parade. And that's because they trusted that if they threw God's power at the storms of this world, God would be the Lord of the storms. If in your life right now, you are facing storms that you don't know how to deal with, and your inclination is to say, the only thing I can do is to throw myself into them. I have to work harder. I have to do more. I have to sacrifice. I have to pay the cost. And in the end, I probably deserve it because I haven't lived all that well. That is not 
Jesus influence. That is not Jesus' call for the influence of your life. What Jesus wants you to do is confidently lean on him and call on God's power to take control of the storms of this world. He hasn't come to give you a miserable life. He's come to set you free. And in setting you free, he gives you the authority to stand over the struggles that you you face and to say, in the name of Jesus, quiet, be still. So go out and change the world in the name of Jesus, trusting that he is the Lord of your storms. Let's pray. Jesus, for those who uh, right now uh, are facing uh, wind and waves, we ask that you demonstrate your power again. Demonstrate through your working of miracles your ability to take control over the messes of our lives. And rather than requiring us to be a sacrificial lamb, empower us with the blood of the lamb who died for us to take authority over the storms in our lives and command them to be still. God, uh, for those who are fighting in their homes and facing divorce, I ask that your spirit would bring a new peace on those couples and restore them to wholehearted commitment to you and kindness to one another. For those who are living paycheck to paycheck and feel like they just can't work enough to make ends meet, provide for them in abundance, not just money, but sleep. For those who are raising kids uh, who are a challenge and who feel like it's all they can do just to keep peace at home, God, bring into their lives a buffer of the resources that they need to parent well and to be confident about what they're doing. Jesus, we invite you to be the Lord of the storms of our lives. I thank you that we don't have to throw ourselves in to the storms over which you already have power. So come and declare peace over our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.